Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Exert Breakthrough Lab podcast. Uh, as usual, I'll be your host, Scott Steele, and I'm joined by Dr. Stephen Chung. Hey there, everyone. And with Armando Mastracci. Hey, everyone. Um, yeah, it's uh, good to see you guys. Uh, Happy New Year to both of you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Good, good to be sitting down again uh, mm-hmm. on what does not feel like a January day. It feels like mid-March or mid-April, but... Uh, Except for we had a little bit of ice this morning, so it was uh, a little slippery on the way here, wasn't it? Yeah, but you protected the bagels. That was the important thing. (laughs) I got to try Montreal-style bagels for the first time today, and uh, they're good. They're good. They lived Mm -hmm. up to the hype. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, Stephen, how's the uh, how's the recovery coming along? I think we're finally there. Uh, We're recording this in January, and I've got a date of January twentieth, my graduation from physiotherapy so that'll mark however many months eight plus long months of uh, rehab but there's been the first week where I literally have felt nothing in my foot in terms of twinges doing uh, single-legged deadlifts with no problem with balance or stability or strength and so all is good from that end and then uh, this semester I'm not teaching so I actually have lots of time to write and actually got more writing done this week than the last five months combined I think so it's all looking good this semester so that means you're going to be able to come up here and uh, join us for some uh, gravel snow ice rides like we've been having you mean hike a bike? I, every time I come I, up here it's hike a bike, hike a bike. I, I've just I'm just about to graduate from physiotherapy I don't necessarily want to go back into it for another uh another eight months with any incidents on the ice so no, i think I, i'll i've learned my lesson and you know i think the key is i don't think uh, you have <laughs> the fact you're going outside you're still riding and it's it's, yeah. it's well, I, I i trust the studs you know if you have the right kind of studded tires then you can ride on the snow and on the ice and uh i kind of tackle any weather and still manage to get out on your bike so uh i'll play it safe and stay indoors uh, <laughs> Now uh, I know you. Excuse me. I know you use uh, power meter pedals. Are you paying attention to your left-right balance at all during the recovery? Or uh, it's been really interesting. I've been using I've Garmin Vector twos on my uh, bikes, and when I've been riding outdoors, the strange thing is the it's been consistent that even though I injured my right foot during the last couple of months, that's actually been the dominant foot in terms of every ride has been about 53% or 54% on the right side. And, uh, but when I ride indoors on the rollers, it evens out the 50-50, so I'm not really quite sure what's what's exactly you, going you, on. There's probably you some... You fall off the rollers if you don't do 50-50. <laughs> Isn't that yeah. how it works? Yeah, probably. So the rollers have been great probably for smoothing out my, my stroke that way. But uh, yeah, so that's been an interesting quirk that I'm trying to kind of rummage through my brain about why that would be. Well, it's good. It's not always... Uh... Good, good thing it's not always dominant on one side, otherwise you'd have to break the other one to even it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as far as me, uh, I guess I'll jump in here. Uh, the, t- the start of our testing has been really good. Uh, we've got some really fit athletes. Uh, it's fun watching guys that are a lot stronger than you do mm-hmm. some of the tests that you design for them. Um, they've been really motivated to come in and, and have really been pushing themselves. Uh, I think now that I'm into the, the data collection part, so all of the, the setup has been done. We've kind of optimized uh, the protocol thanks to Stephen going through it twice <laughs> during piloting. 
Uh, but we finally got a, a good system in place and now it's a bit rewarding that um, pretty much now when I come in, uh, we come in, we run the tests and that's about it. There's no uh, thinking about how do I need to change the protocol or uh, how do I need to make this better? I think we've done the best that we can up front and it's it makes this stage of the data collection a little bit easier, uh, which has been great. Uh, and while I have everyone, I guess I'll mention if we, once again, if we have any cyclists in the Niagara region that are interested in participating in a scientific study, I'd uh, like to uh, talk to you and see if we could get you in perhaps uh, later in February or March. Uh, but what about you, Armando? What have you been up to here at uh, Exert HQ? Well, we've been working on some pretty uh, nifty new features. Um, really excited to get these out. Uh, we're doing a lot of testing, make sure that uh, some of the features are, will be suitable to uh, kind of the, the growing user base that we have. But yeah, just to give you a little bit of a flavor in terms of what's going to be coming out. As an example, um, within while you're doing workouts, uh, you know, it, it, you have uh, today we have kind of variable duration. Um, intervals where the duration will kind of extend and shorten based upon how they're performed. Um, we're going to alter that and allow uh, intervals to be defined as, as variable power. So if you go into a recovery interval, for example, and you go at it too hard, it's going to extend it. Uh, sorry, it's going to reduce the target, not extend, it's going to reduce the target. So we're going to have sort of target MPA adjustable by power. And what's going to be cool about that is that the workouts are all going to be, always be the same duration. I was just going to say, yeah. I think one of the, one of the I guess, complaints that we get with some of the workouts is, oh, it said it was going to be an hour and five minutes, and mm -hmm. it took an hour and ten minutes, or it, it was less than an hour. Exactly. But I think this is going to be awesome because those people that are kind of on that tight schedule, I've only got an hour to work out, I think this is going to be a great tool for them to make sure that they do their workout at a sufficient intensity mm -hmm. and they still get their workout done in an hour. Right. And it's really great because, you know, especially when you're doing shorter intervals, uh, you're going to want to have that power adjusted on the fly because if you end up going them into them too hard or there's a delay in the, in the power, this is even applies if you're using erg mode. It's never, every trainer is always different and how they go into short intervals um, uh, is, you know, is going to change. Uh, how long they should be done for and what kind of power output you should be trying to achieve. So this is going to kind of help make all that process a lot better across all the different types of variations that you, that you could have. So it's just going to make, just going to give you a little bit of a few extra watts here and there, a few less watts here and there, depending upon how you will go into these intervals. Um, it's also important when on the recovery intervals that you have, you give yourself enough recovery so that you can do the next interval. And so again, it's going to adjust it downwards if you've gone into the interval too hard uh, or vice versa. So it's um, really keen on getting those out. And we've got some other neat things that we're going to be doing in the workout. So, you know, ramps, I think a lot of people were looking for ramp based intervals. Um, and then we're also going to try and uh, uh, try and implement again, we're testing, so I can't commit. We're going to have this ready, but it's looking really good is the ability to define intervals that aren't erg mode. So this is in the actual workout design. You'll be able to say this interval is be, will be done through slope mode. So you'll be able to say, okay, set the slope to 5%, but the target is still, you know, 800 watts. 
so you don't have to worry about trying to muscle through erg mode to get those uh, those targets so achieved. It, it'll automatically change the trainer between erg mode and, and slope mode for exactly. you. That's pretty nifty. Yeah, as you're as you're doing the workout. So we think that's going to help with certain types of high power intervals. And you know, if you got a sprint, if you want to do a sprint uh, uh, interval, for example. You can do those and still have the rest of the workout and run in erg mode, as an example. That's awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now that we've somewhat introduced and uh, had our small chat for today, uh, I thought we'd actually move forward and, and talk about what we're going to be aiming for today, which is really the, the evolution of measuring how we train. Uh, I think this is a big topic for uh, perhaps people that are new to exert or, or newer to training in, in general is... How do, how do we go about kind of quantifying how much training are you doing? And so I think it, what's funny for me is that I followed actually almost the same progression uh, that we're going to talk about today when I first got into cycling uh, a few years back now. And that's when I first started cycling, all I had was a bike. I didn't have a heart rate monitor, no, no head unit or anything. It was just, okay, it's, it's 2.30 right now. I'm going to go ride for an hour and I'll be back in 3.30. And so... Um, I guess the, the first way to measure that training load is just going to be how, how much are you riding? I think that's mm-hmm. a lot of ways, even right now, uh, w- when we talk to other athletes, if, if we're going to ask how much they're training, one of the most common ways is, oh, I train 10 hours a week or so. Yeah. And that goes back to the old Eddie mantra of ride lots or right, in terms of how to get better on the bike. And there is a certain amount of truth to it, but again, ride lots is very vague of, or riding more hours or more time because you could be just noodling along at super easy kind of uh, pace or you can be hammering for the same period of time. So it really doesn't necessarily capture what you do. It just tells you how how much you've, you've done it uh, in terms of over, whether it's over the course of a day, a week, a month, a year, whatever. So it's 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 a very, very rough way to quantify and especially track long-term your progression. I mean, there is a certain value in it in terms of just, you know, we do know that most of the time if you are able to to uh, ride for, you know, 10% more next year than you do this year, you're probably going to improve a little bit. And it's probably a safe amount of progression, but it's it's a very, very blunt instrument in terms of quantifying and especially now there's almost in a sense no excuse for just relying on on that because we have so many tools at our disposal now in terms of and we'll talk about them whether it's heart rate whether it's power meters or anything else or a combination of tools to really be much more specific in terms of fine-tuning I think what's really cool about it it seems by it by itself it doesn't tell us much, but it's certainly part of the part of the total equation. Because I think uh, as we start going through some of these other methods, whether it's time in zones or um, or time times the relative intensity, mm-hmm. it's part of the equation. But it by itself can't tell us everything that we need to know, which is why we need some measure of intensity. Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of people come into training in general. They start off just like you're describing, Scott. You know what? They just ride their bike or they just go running and you know say okay i ran this far i ran so this many hours or you know i've um, been on my bike especially on indoor rides you know if you're going to be indoor 
you know, we're going to talk about, you know, measuring distance as the next sort of method, but before you get to measuring how far you went, you know, sometimes you just measure how long I've been on, how long I've been, I've been working out for. So it just makes it an easy way. And it, as for an, an introductory into training, then that's fine, right? That's when you, what your first thing you're going to look at, but you're going to move past hours really quickly because as you're describing, Stephen, it just doesn't capture the intensity or doesn't tap, capture kind of what you actually did. It just says this is the amount of time you spent. So was you, were you going easier, were you going harder? And I think that's where the next kind of method we look at measuring distance, especially if you're running or if you're riding, you know, how far, you know, how far did you go? And although a lot of people, for example, would they look at how many kilometers they, or how many miles they did in, you know, over the year, right? That's a generally, it's a good thing to be, to be interested in, but you know, even when you start factoring how far you ride on a week to week basis or on a yearly basis, you know, although indirectly it captures some intensity, because if you go harder, you're going to go further. So if you said, you know, I rode, you know, 10 miles, well, yeah, that's 10 miles is going to say, if I, you know, it's, if it was done in half an hour or an hour, it's, uh, you know, it's still 10 miles. So in the end, it's going to capture a better cap. It, it does capture indirectly how much intensity and how hard you've been going, right, to some degree. Yeah, if I had to choose one between kind of hours and distance, I always don't understand the concept of, oh, my cycling goal for 2020 is to ride 10,000 kilometers or whatever. I mean, there is obviously a time component on there, but you know, for me, it never makes sense because I also ride on the mountain bike. I also ride in gravel. I ride in cyclocross and on the road. So, you know, we know in obviously in mountain bike, the average speed is a lot different. So, um, you know, if I set my goals for 10,000 kilometers and I only ride off-road, it's going to be, in some cases, double the time required to, to do that. Same thing of here in Niagara, where I live, the roads are pretty flat for most of the time. So if I just want to artificially bump up distance, in a sense, I can. Whereas if I was living in a suddenly went for a week or two where all I was doing was a lot of climbing. Um, you know, my average speed is again, going to be a lot less. So, you know, kind of distance by itself is in some ways really meaningless. Um, and especially if you're on an indoor bike, you know, for four months of the year where it might not even be recorded at all, then, uh, you know, hours time for me, they're both blunt tools in some sense, but I'd rather have the more, power or sorry i'd rather have time as a tool than than distance per se if i was going to choose between the two you lightly touched on it there kind of talking about riding here in niagara where it's super pancake flat pretty pretty easy to keep your average speed up versus living somewhere hilly but uh i mean that's not even to mention all the other factors that go wind speed wind direction those sorts of things uh drafting whether you're with a group or not there's so Mm -hmm. many variables that can affect your average speed that it, I don't put too much stock into mm-hmm. it. Studded um, tires, you, so were, you know, you studded, studded tires. tires. You're looking at about a third. You know, it's a third more work to actually pedal a bike with studded tires versus just a regular bike. So, hold so many factors involved in how what it takes to kind of travel a distance. So, yeah. So if if uh, you know you're at that stage where your main recording is and tracking is uh, you know time or distance, you know, again keep that in mind. It'll, there is, in general, a correlation between the more time you put in, obviously, the more distance you'll, 
you'll put into but you know there's a lot of vagueness uh, mm-hmm. in between those two so but it is again long term um, certainly year after year you know hours or time spent cycling is generally also a pretty good correlation with your overall overall fitness and capacity but you know so what what's what's what, what's missing is the intensity like how hard are you going and it's not always captured in in the in the time you spend or the distance you travel so you know you move into measuring intensity so how do you do that um you get into you know uh rpe right so you know that's another method that now you know people will follow as you start to become more structured so this is the other side of it too right is is it's nice, you know, if you're just sort of tracking things, track your hours and your mileage. I, I know a lot. I know a lot yeah, of people yeah. that just yeah. I'm gonna ride my trainer 30 minutes. That's it in a day, and that's sufficient. Right, but, but if but if you're if you're looking to really understand and improve, and and you have certain goals in mind, and you wanna make sure that you're using your time efficiently and getting the most value for your training, then you're gonna have to start you know, introducing some new methods or some uh, other ways to kind of track that information. It's just not good enough to look at heart, uh, sorry, uh, at uh, hours and, and, uh, and distance. So, you know, you talk about RPE, right, as being another method. So RPE, re- you know, relative uh, rate, rate, of rate, rate of perceived exertion, yeah. pardon me. Um, and that's another way of, of accounting for how hard the effort was so you're not just tracking how long you spent or how far you went but also at what relative exertion did you you know did you perform that in yeah and there's gradations on how you use it so you can use ratings perceived exertion and it's really originally developed in the 1960s by Gunnar Borg a Swedish Swedish physiologist and it's really just trying to get a sense of the overall intensity of an effort and that effort could be a specific interval it could also be an entire workout as a whole so uh, the original and what i feel is still the best ratings perceived exertion is a really subjective scale from starts at six goes up to 20 and it's uh, with six being super light almost just lying in bed kind of idea to 20 being the absolute hardest effort you can imagine and there's gradations within there so you are really just kind of giving a a um, you know each effort so you may say I'm gonna do this you know ride up this hill or do this two-minute effort at 15 on this scale or 19 on that scale and there's a world of difference between those two so that's one way to use ratings perceived exertion is just to say I'm gonna go do this particular effort at this kind of intensity. The other way is what uh, what Carl Foster from University of Wisconsin La Crosse back in uh, Scott's old home state oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. developed, which is a sessional RPE, and he uses more on a scale of one to ten, and it is really you know forget about the individual efforts forget about you know how hard you went on this one particular interval or or a set of intervals but overall this whole workout how hard did it feel and again he would ask 
athletes to rate it from one to 10. Again, 10 being the absolute, just a killer, killer workout that you never want to see again. One being the easiest workout you can imagine. And Carl has found that, you know, long-term overall, especially experienced athletes have a really good sense of this rating is perceived exertion, especially over a whole session. And they can differentiate between a SRPE of you know nine as opposed to seven. And there's real meaning for them in between. And so he's found that just asking athletes to monitor that rather than really kind of be very granular in it was also a very good tool in terms of tracking their overall intensity over the course of of a you know a season and that's that srp incorporates both the actual intensity but also the duration so you can have you know a six hour super long ride where you just come back absolutely knackered but even though it was at an endurance pace that can be at an effort of nine just like a hard interval a run a stat workout can be at <laughs> an effort is. of nine so you knew i was going to get get there somewhere i was, I was wondering where it was coming <laughs> okay. so so they can both have a have an srp of nine so it incorporates both intensity and duration so it's it's a very good tool and i think you know, we're going to talk about a lot of advanced tools, obviously with power and stuff, but Carl really maintains, and I certainly tend to agree with him, especially for experienced athletes who really have a good sense of their body. That's also a really good tool for saying just how hard was my overall kind of effort that day. I think uh, one one important thing to consider, even with this, this self-rating of perceived exertion, uh, it's an average intensity, so it does it can't capture the moment by moment. Because I mean, there's certainly been times where I've been doing the, the famous Ronestad workout, and I'll get through the first set, and I'm like, that that wasn't that bad. But by the third set, like I am on the verge of death. Uh, <laughs> so there, there's certainly like if I had to rate the workout, I'm gonna rate that one like a 17 out of 20. Like that was really hard. But if I had to think back and on that first interval where I didn't go that deep, like that rating might have only been like a 12 or a 13. So uh, one thing to remember w with this rating is that it is it's just going to be an average of the whole workout. So it can't capture that kind of uh, the fine differences between those intervals. Um, and that's where heart rate. You know, we can move into the sort of the next stage, your heart rate, and that's kind of gives you. Oh, sorry, you want to? You, know, you want to? I've got one like, more thing okay, um, for for some of our listeners that are on exert mm -hmm. now. Um, mm -hmm. We don't have anything for for yourself RPE uh, mm -hmm. in the system, mm -hmm. but something that we do have is something called the difficulty score, uh, and so this is something uh, that will rate essentially the rides that you upload. We've we've got a, a, a rather crude one through five scale. Uh, it goes up by 0.5 increments, but. Uh, what what the system tries to do is it provides what an RPE might be like for you or how the, the session might have felt, uh, and that's based on your power output during there. So uh, some things that can be cool is looking at the difficulty score that Exert gives you, like, oh, that was a five-star difficult workout, uh, high-intensity workout, and okay, that pretty much aligns with, with my own rating of that workout. Like, it was pretty hard. Mm -hmm. So you can check that out too. That's uh, another cool feature that we have on Exert. Yeah, so the, it's interesting you say that. I think the difficulty score is, is an element that really reflects in terms of an overall um, how difficult you may find a workout. And when you combine that with the intensity and then MPA in the workout, you can 
at moments you can say, okay, this moment in the workout was extremely difficult. And that's usually when you get to points where difficulty score is high, so above 100, above 150, and at that same time, MPA has come down and you're trying to actually uh, you know, push out a maximal effort. When those three things are kind of there, that's usually the most painful time, <laughs> okay? So, so having a high difficulty score isn't in and of itself really, really painful. And it was hard getting there. Um, but, you know, obviously if your difficulty score is high and you stop pedaling, it's not that, you know, that, not, not that challenging. But as soon as you try and achieve another breakthrough again with a high difficulty score, that's when you're really going to feel it. Yeah, and we just had a, a member post in a community forum asking, well, why did I get dropped during a race at this particular time when my MPA has not dropped kind of enough to to match my power. So theoretically, I should, should still have something left. And we in the forum, there was a great thread about a variety of you know, reasons, everything from hydration to the cadence it was using, positioning in the pack, all that stuff. But another aspect is difficulty score, right? He, he had already been hammering kind of throughout leading up to this hill and uh, you know and then he when he got dropped there was still theoretically according to MPA there was still something left in the tank but probably another component was his difficulty score was really high and to the point that he you know it was just too difficult an effort to draw MPA down further for him and that that can also explain kind of again why can't I you know, achieve a breakthrough at this particular point. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll, I'll let you continue. That's, I, I didn't okay, want to bring no, up the no, difficulty no, score because I, totally I thought it, I thought it tied in well with, with ratings of perceived exertion. So just wanted mm -hmm. to let you know that we do have a semi objective way to measure what that RPE might look like. So, so moving on then to the sort of the next stage of training measurement, you have heart rate. So, the, with the advent of heart rate monitors, it kind of changed things quite a bit because the challenge that we were just talking about is how do you, you know, you can measure things overall. You have an overall, you know, if, uh, what was the what was the session like? But, you know, things can change interactively right in the middle. Sometimes things get really hard. Sometimes things ease off. And so if we can start to measure what's been what's happens interactively, then we can get and we can do that in a kind of consistent way then we can know when we went hard, when we went easy, and how hard was it and how easy was it, and to track all that information and use that for training. So that's where heart rate really came in because it's giving you a second-by-second second score, essentially some kind of value of how difficult that training is. Yeah, and heart rate monitoring became, start becoming kind of commercially available and popular in the 80s, and I remember that was about when I started cycling and I had one of the original polar heart rate monitors where it was still a hardwired uh, plug into your watch from your heart rate strap and I remember using that very early on and uh, the yeah. main way kind of used besides just looking at your max percent of max heart rate the other way of and it's still used to this day is this model called training impulse or trimp and it was originated by Professor Eric Bannister at Simon Fraser University, and I did I actually did my master's at Simon Fraser in the lab right next door to Eric Bannister's. So I know Eric, and um, you know what he came up with this idea of again training impulse, and the original model was 
very crude and basic. It was simply your heart rate multiplied by time. So it was just your, in some cases, it was just your average heart rate for that session uh, multiplied by the overall time in minutes. So if you averaged 100 beats per minute for 100 minutes, you multiply that together and you get your trims. And so that's one way of quantifying Again, both a measure of intensity and duration in there. There's been other modifications of weighting certain kind of uh, heart rate zones more or less than, than others. But that's at the heart of it. That's what, if you hear the word kind of, or the motto of TRIMPS, that's what it's quantifying. It's quantifying uh, training impulse. And that's exactly what it, what it stands for. And it's generally a weighted or an unweighted at kind of heart rate percentage or heart rate multiplied by duration right and so heart rate you know they so in terms of it captures your overall effort but then still even interactively in a particular session you may get to zone one zone two all the way to zone six there's different zones that you could be doing workouts in. obviously if you're in zone six the highest range you can only do that very very temporarily within a workout it's not sustainable over a long effort so so there are kind of ways in which you can capture zones or at least look at the data and use some tools to help you assess so how much time did you spend in zone six and how much time did you spend in zone five and and kind of get some kind of evaluation as terms of what the overall difficulty was so you measure your overall training with shrimp and you know use things like impulse response models which is kind of what you know exert uses and it's very common as a way to kind of aggregate and measure overall over a long term and we can you know, get into details about, about that at some point but um, you know just measuring trend in just terms of how much training have you done um, you know it's uh, it becomes just a just a linear scale very similar to the way you're measuring distance or measuring hours it's just it's going to measure it in a, in a different way and it's going to try and capture you know how uh, how much work and how difficult that work was indirectly it gives you a number to work with. Mm -hmm. Like I can say, okay, this session was, was 9,000 or 10,000 uh, versus the other one was only uh, a couple thousand. Like it, it, you can at least compare sessions to one another using right. some number that stands for something. Right. Which I think was an important step. Um, but one of the but, things that I wanted to point out with it is once again, we're looking at, um, at essentially a mean heart rate or we're looking at binning the heart rate into different zones. And, uh, this still isn't looking second by second at your data and looking, okay, um, how does that initial fatigue at the start of the interval affect your heart rate at the end of the interval? Uh, what a lot of people will say and what you'll hear a lot of times is heart rate is kind of, it's like looking in the rear view mirror. Uh, mm -hmm. it's an, it's an output of the work that you're required to do. So, uh, when the, when the trainer jumps up from, let's say hundred Watts during my recovery to 350 Watts for my interval, it might take my heart rate 20 or 30 seconds to, to catch up to the intensity that I'm doing. So looking backwards, it's, <coughs> excuse me, mm -hmm. it's not going to show me that the intensity increased immediately. Uh, it's going to show that leg. And then likewise, when I drop back down to my recovery, it's going to stay elevated for a little bit. And so uh, this is one of the reasons that people will call heart rate kind of that, that trailing indicator or uh, that rear view mirror approach because it's not able to capture second by second exactly what's mm -hmm. happening it, it, and it's slow it to respond so, exactly. so if, you, if you smash out a sprint for example you know, it doesn't show in your heart rate 
there's no indication that you, you perform that high sprint effort uh, and then you should get credit for kind of what what impact that's going to have on your training. So the training impulse model, it's great overall. When you look at overall endurance, let's say, and how much benefit you're getting from your endurance training. But once you start moving into higher intensities and how that your ability to perform at higher intensities, how does that training, in, uh, where, where is the impulse to that training? It's, it unfortunately isn't in the heart rate data. You're just, it just doesn't capture it. And that's why power meters really have come, sort of come into the fold is because they capture precisely exactly how much work you're performing on the bike or now even with running to, to, to that same degree, how much work you're performing and, and it's capturing it down to the second. Um, and that becomes a lot more precise and accurate in, in quantifying the actual, well, it is quantifying the work that you're performing and how uh, that might impact your training and, and improvements. Absolutely. Um, it, it knows when you're noodling along at, uh, at 100 watts or when you're, you're smashing out those hard threshold efforts. So uh, it's definitely much more precise it's since it's actually measuring what you're doing there's not going to be any lag uh, we know second by second exactly how hard you're working which i think and, is very important and then it's in with power meters you can do the same thing with heart rate so there's been you know as you moved into looking at your zones with heart rate the same thing applied applies now with or at least that was the first iteration you look at your zones when it comes to power so uh, what you can capture is, you know, the higher zones. So your your neuromuscular or some of the anaerobic zones can be quantified um, much easier because you have access to that data suggesting that you were sprinting, for example, which wouldn't appear in the heart rate data. So you you know you have you could potentially have a few more zones now. So rather than having let's say six zones, you have let's say seven when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, power data. And you can start to measure your actual training with greater precision. So the, you're the first thing you would imagine you would do when it comes to uh, power is to just measure the work that you do, right? How much work? So, you know, how many kilojoules of work did you perform? And that actually, you know, is very similar to you would say if you're a physicist, you would look back and say, yeah, well, isn't that just like you know, moving a body a certain distance, you know, that would be the amount of kilojoules performing. It's true, you know, it's, but you know, there's other factors, right? So what's the rolling resistance what's and the what's drag? the yeah, the drag and you start to factor all those things in and say, well, it's not just a distance. There's, there's other factors. And that's kind of what we were talking about earlier, right? If you're, you know, using studs in your bike, it's going to be more work to move that bike versus uh, a bike that's aerodynamic and, you know, has great rolling resistance. So the power meter captures all that, captures all the work that you do, uh, independent of all the various other factors, whether you're, you're climbing or whether you're drafting, it's all, it's all there. So you can simply look at the, the, um, the work you did. Um, in Exert, we call that your stress. So if you look at some of the stress reports, that's just work. In, yeah, in before essence. we get into it, let's okay. just remember yeah. the basic mm -hmm. math. When you see watts, one watt is one joule per second of power output, right? So mm -hmm. watt is a rate of work produced. So I just want to make sure we're all on the same page <laughs> with that, that. So when we say we are riding at 100 watts, 
what we're saying is is we're generating a hundred joules of per second of mechanical work and so therefore you know we can then calculate how many kilojoules of work overall over that one hour that we produced if we put all the math together mm. and again that's irrespective of distance uh covered speed or anything else mm. and that's going to be measured directly by your strain gauge and your power meter a lot of them they might have force plates or strain gauge so it's measuring exactly but, but it's it, it's an objectively measured you can't manipulate that really right and so we in exert like i said we call that stress and the stress is just because it's just a way of quantifying how much stress does your body is, is performing, and that's really the amount of kilojoules in the end that you're that you're um, uh, that you're that you're creating or that you're using. Now, the trouble with just using stress or just using the amount of kilojoules is that, like you're saying, Scott, before, like there's no how do you know what's gone on? How did how were those kilojoules spent? So you could say, for example, that you did 50 watts over 10 minutes. Okay, so you did 50 watts over 10 minutes. Is that the same as uh, 500 watts over one minute? It's the same amount of work you perform, but very, very different physiologically to do 500 for one minute or 50 for 10. And so just looking at the actual kilojoules isn't really going to tell you what happened in the end. So you've got to now start to factor in what the intensity was, how the intensity was performed in order to get a better gauge in terms of the overall physiological effect of it. So in essence, what zone were you in, if you want to look at it, zones, and, mm -hmm. and how is that going to affect you? And so what's been done in the past is to introduce not just stress, but stress scores. So you account for kind of how the intensity is working against you or with you uh, to then assess an overall effect physiologically that, that's going to have on you. So again, the stress core is going to be, you know, a single dimension, mm -hmm. right? We're looking at, okay, overall in this effort, in this session or this ride, what is the overall stress score? So it's going to be a single dimensional way of, of accounting for it. Again, you lose, yeah, you lose the ability to then, once you're looking at a, un, a unit dimension, how do you account for the different zones that the actual work was performed in? So it becomes hard because now you're looking at, okay, I got my stress scores. This is the amount. It's like 100. Okay, but how was it done? Well, we know that it's embedded, like the intensity is embedded in 100. So the harder we went, we know the number is going to go up. But we don't really know what made up the 100. So you end up now saying, okay, I've got the 100, but now I need to look at my time in zones. Mm -hmm. And so you end up with this chart with all these bars on it, saying I spent you know, this much in zone one, and this much in zone two, and zone three, and zone five. And you look at the chart and you go, this is interesting, but it's really hard to interpret like, what do I do with this information? Like, if, okay, so I spent this much time in zone seven or zone five. I go, okay, that's interesting. I spent a lot of time there. And you may assess a certain work at it that way. But overall, it really becomes hard to understand because you have these things and there's no way to really um, look at that information in kind of a cohesive and coherent way. And I think that's kind of the challenge that you end up with when you're looking at these some of these 
current models that are people are still using for power is you're not really seeing the overall picture. At least you're really hard to interpret that overall picture. Absolutely. And I, th I think something that would be important kind of to touch on, but uh, just like with heart rate, we need something to anchor all of these zones on. So a lot of times your heart rate zones might be ba uh, based on your max heart rate. Uh, similarly, you need some way to anchor your, your power zone. So a lot of times that'll be like your, your FTP and exert, mm -hmm. we call it your threshold power. Uh, and so it's all going to be uh, when we're looking at these intensity scores and stress scores, they're going to be looking at the work that you performed somewhat relative to that, that threshold power. Right. Uh, and, and so trying to quantify uh, both the, the duration and then the intensity relative, it might be maybe mean power uh, relative to your threshold power might be a way to try and capture that intensity. But like you were saying, with, with just the stress score, it might not give us the, the value of the intensity directly. Well, you know, and indirectly too, you know, the, the zones that you do the work in, I mean, we've talked about, we've, we've, we've had this in some of our blog posts, and you've brought this up many times, Scott, is that the order matters. So if you do a really, really hard effort, and then after that hard effort, you try and hold your threshold power or below it, that hurts. It's really, you know, if you go through a, a one minute all out effort, and then just try and ride near your threshold after that, it's like you're, you're dying. It's really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you do the opposite, if you do, let's say, you know, hold your, your just below threshold for a little bit and then, which is fairly easy, it's not that hard. And then you go one minute all out, which is going to be about relatively the same amount of work performed in the as in the first case, completely different story. Mm -hmm. So, so the order matters. And if you just look at just overall averages, right, in your, in your stress scores, that gets missed yeah, and, yeah. And, and and even if you look at time and zones it doesn't show up it doesn't show up that this that zone four effort was done under fatigue and you know and people know this who use exert know that it's not the same thing right yeah. and so why are we counting it to be the same and where is that in how do i account for that so that that part is missing yeah so i mean the easy way to visualize it is if you're all in your trainers right now go jump on the bike and ride at 400 watts for let's say five minutes and that first 15 seconds it's pretty easy it's manageable but the last 15 seconds is hell on earth right? because you're under a state of fatigue. So the strain on your body of those last 15 seconds is night and day different from those first 15 seconds when you are fresh and not fatigued in any way, shape or form. Again, traditional models will say that 400 watts over five minutes, well, it had the same effect on your body throughout the entire five minutes, but again, any of us who has ever done that, and that would be all cyclists, know that's not mm -hmm. the case. So, so our model, we try to incorporate that different level of fatigue throughout, for example, those five minutes and the effect it is actually having on your body, the metabolic strain, the neuromuscular strain that it, it is generating on your body. You know, you, you could argue that, you know, you go, you go back to heart rate to get that information. You know, there is, yeah, you know, you, absolutely. you could, you can say, okay, that 400 watt effort, the first, you know, few seconds, my heart rate was pretty low. It must have been pretty easy. 
and then by the end, you know, you're you're hitting, hitting your your max heart rate, and, and so you say, yeah. So that's where it must have been a lot of strain because look at where my heart rate was at at, at the end of the interval. So. So you need to capture a little bit of both, right? There's, it's important to account for overall effect of the work you perform relative to your fatigue level at that time. And that's kind of where, where exert is now moved into. I, I was just gonna say, everyone grab out your nerd glasses. We'll let, uh, <laughs> we'll let Armando share a little bit. So uh, mm-hmm. I was hoping that you'd maybe be able to give them a little insight into Kind of what it what is exert doing that it allows us to credit some of those like Stephen's example before. How does it know to credit those last fifteen seconds of that hard interval more than those first fifteen seconds? What's kind of exert somewhat doing behind the scenes? It, well, behind the scenes, it's basically um, assigning more strain. So we move from stress, which is just work you do, to say strain, which is how much work you do relative to your MPA. So if your NPA is just fully, it's fully charged, um, then obviously the work you perform relative to the NPA is going to be fairly easy. So the numbers, your strain numbers are going to be lower. Uh, but as soon as NPA starts to come down, then you're going to get credit for more strain as you perform the same work effort. So we look at what NPA is every second. We look at how much work you're performing every second. And when MPA is, comes down, you get credit for more strain. So that's how the exert algorithm works. Okay? It compares your power output to MPA and then gives you more strain when, when MPA is lowered. And it does that every second, every second of the workout. Every second of every workout, every moment is calculated, uh, your power versus your MPA. And that's where you come up with the XSS, the exert strain score, which tries to incorporate all of kind of your peak power, your high intensity energy and your low intensity energy kind of strain and incorporate into one overall number. And that's why you can get more than a hundred XSS per hour because there's a world of difference between you know, doing again, the Ronestad workouts where you're going very high efforts and you're drawing your MPA right down to uh, and so by doing that you're creating much much more strain on your body and you're able to generate a much higher XSS well in excess of a hundred and that's also where it correlates to the difficulty score the difficulty score is really looking at your XSS per hour kind of averaged out and Mm -hmm. uh, if you were able to sustain this for the entire hour you know of let's say 150 xss over an hour that would be your difficulty score of 150 so that's why you would see on your as you're looking at your ride data you would see when scott was saying when we did the first ronestad effort uh, where the difficulty score wasn't that high because he hadn't accumulated that much fatigue and that much strain yet Whereas the third one is much harder uh, mentally to really do because even though physiologically it may, you know, kind of not have kind of too much difference, but just central fatigue, everything, it is just so much harder to do because the difficulty score has increased greatly because he's already got two of these sets already in him. 
Right. And so that's where, you know, you can say, well, you know, this effort, we, we quantify them to be the same. So if you look at strain, we'll say that the strain associated with the first effort is going to be the same as, a, as the last effort in the sense of how it compares to MPA. Now, what if we, we assume all the efforts are the same. We, we assume yeah, all the efforts yeah. are relative to MPA, right? Yeah. So we will say that the strain is the same, but we'll say that the, the, second, the, the second and the third one are going to be performed in a greater central fatigue, and those are going to be more painful. So there's a difference between strain and pain, okay? So strain is where you're actually putting physiologically um, a strain on the body itself. Your muscles are aching, they're hurting, yeah. Right, so you're putting strain on the body. But how you respond to that is the pain you feel. And pain can be a bunch of, you know, it can be a, a number of different things. You know, I always say to people, you know, if you, if you stab a, 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 you know, a, a, a knife into your leg while you're pedaling, it hurts like hell and it's not going to make you go any faster. Like it's not going to make you physiological faster. So pain in and of itself isn't what creates the physiological benefits, right? It's more the actual strain that you apply that then helps you improve and, sh and sh gives you an improvement. So that's, that's where we're quantifying and where exert works. It says, okay, we look at that strain and that's what is going to influence your, your improvement and your ability. What we also do is not only are we quantifying the strain, but we're allocating that strain into the three systems. So this is where we move beyond just this kind of separation of a stress score and zones, which are kind of like totally separate, we now merge them. We now give you an ability to kind of see both in terms of the data and to understand what's happening to both through the data that we provide. So we'll say that you accumulated this much stress, or sorry, this much strain at a given moment in time, and then we'll say of that strain, some of it was lower, lower intensity strain, some was high intensity strain, and some was peak intensity strain. And all those correspond to your threshold, HIE, and peak power. So the more peak power strain you place on your training, the higher your peak power goes. So you you're, want to, you're training your peak You're system, training your peak power. Right. But, but to get to that peak strain, you've got to be doing some near peak power sprints. Well, that's the issue, right? Because as your MPA comes down, so this is an interesting point, okay? Think about this. As your MPA comes down, it becomes very difficult to put peak power strain on the system. This peak power strain is really maximized when you hit your highest power efforts. That's the way the math works. And what's interesting is that the math corresponds to what we know is happening physiologically. That if you really want to improve your peak power efforts, you've got to do sprints. They have to be done fresh. So very one short, very, very high short, intensity. very high intensity, all out what you can. And if you're tired, MPAs come down, you can't do that. By definition, MPA is 400 watts. You can't do 1,000 watts by definition. So you can't bring down your MPA and then strengthen your peak power. Those two can't be done. You've got to allow your, your MPA to recover, and then you have to go at it with some really high power efforts. And that's when, you, that's when the peak intensity strain is at its maximum, 
and that's what's going to allow you to increase your peak power as an example. And we know that sprinters train like this, for example. Correct. We know they're going to go out, they're going to go hammer for five or ten seconds, and then they're going to go and they're going to noodle along for five or ten minutes, let it recover, and then repeat it again. So it aligns very nicely with how we know sprinters are actually training. Right, and, and so what, this, what, what Exert does is that it tracks all, those, all that strain second by second, and then applies all that strain, it tracks it all for you, and then applies it to three different impulse response models. So back to this kind of you know, chronic training load, acute training load, we just call them training loads and recovery loads. Um, but we accum accumulate that strain into those three, into three systems. So that now you can track within this within exert it says okay this is how much peak power strain i've accumulated and it's in my peak training load and we know how that's going to go up and down through its own time constants and same applies with high intensity training load and the same applies with low intensity training load and we know that they respond differently to the amount of strain we place on them in terms of how long it takes for them to improve and come down and that's why there's different time constants. So for those geeks out there that go into the account settings and go into profile and you see these different time constants, that's why they're there is because each one is, responds differently to, to training. Some take longer. Each system responds differently, exactly. Correct. So, so we, we do all this under the covers for you. And so we're bringing together all your kind of effort in zones indirectly. We don't call them zones. We call them you know, how much strain you're applying to each different system. That's in effect which zones you're actually training. We quantify those in terms of strain. And then we, we accumulate those into different training loads. And the and exert the order in which you do the work matters. Correct. Um, so if you were to do kind of that, those last 15 seconds of the interval, you're going to get credit for that more than the first 15 seconds. So right. a bit of the, the best of both worlds. We, we look mm -hmm. at high, low, and peak uh, strain, and then we also look at the, the order in which work is performed, and we make sure that if you're doing those hard efforts under fatigue, you're going to get more credit for that. Right. And so now we're, now we're like, well, how do, we in, in, un, how do we understand all this? Because it becomes really hard. So you've got three systems, and you've got three training loads happening all at the same time, and you're accumulating three stress scores, three strain scores, excuse me. So how, how do you make sense of all that? So that's kind of where we bring in this concept of focus. Okay, so focus is a way to understand what these three dimensions are, what they're doing. How do we, com how do we condense three uh, dimensions into one is right. essentially what focus is. Exactly, because if you think about those sprint efforts, those sprint efforts are going to be mostly peak power. So those are going to be at the very short end of the focus duration curve, your focus duration of under 10 seconds. So the only way to get focus duration under 10 seconds is to do peak power efforts, and those will show up in the data. So if you want to focus on kind of shorter efforts, then you're going to have to do these kind of short efforts within your training. It's the same thing if you're going to want to say, I'm going to focus on my three minute power then how do, I, how do I focus on it? Well, you do three-minute power efforts, obviously, and that's going to put things in the right proportions for, for that training. And so the more you train in those proportions, 
the more that aspect of your fitness improves. And, and I think what's the, the coolest thing about this, we won't get too in-depth on focus uh, mm-hmm. in, in this episode, but uh, what's cool is, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you tell Exert what kind of focus you want to improve on. So let's say you want to go be uh, a puncher, you want to work on your, your four-minute power. Uh, you tell the system that, and as you're progressing through your training, Exert knows what your low, your, your high, and your peak training loads are and where they need to be. And it's going to select those workouts specifically for you to help improve that. So really, we try to make it as simple as possible for for our users out there that they, they tell Exert kind of what they want to improve on. And everything that we've been talking about is going on behind the scenes and automated for you and, and helping you uh, guide you towards improving whatever your selected athlete type is. Yeah, and that's all, you know, bottom line though is that we're measuring, you're measuring your training across three dimensions and we're measuring that training in the context of fatigue that you have when you're performing them and we do that second by second and then we add those all up for you and we present them so it's doing a lot of this stuff for you under the covers there's a lot happening under the covers but it's really bringing together the concept of intensity and training load duration and duration all those things are being accounted for and then you can now view and understand what's happening uh, through the concept of focus. So that's kind of where where we where we've gotten where where we've reached with uh, with Exert. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, is there anything else that uh, that anyone would like to add? Sounds um, like we've teased um, a lot of future podcast episodes a, with I, with the is, final ten minutes. We're, we're so close uh, on our time here. Yeah. Uh, this we could talk about this forever, but uh, we'll have I'll, to save it for a future podcast. Obviously, you can see I'm a little bit enthusiastic about this part. This is the really the neat part of Exert that just kind of comes out of the numbers. It's mm-hmm. it's nothing. It's just the, the the math is actually fairly straightforward. Applies, you know principles that we already know exist, like the impulse response models. Um, and it's just pretty interesting how um, all these numbers kind of start to make sense and that these numbers are predictive in the end. They're predictive of your ability to perform, which is, I think, the most fascinating part about it. Yeah, we can see how, you, how you've historically yeah. responded to training and knowing that relationship, we know how you will respond to future training. I think that's just yeah. incredible. Yeah, and really, I guess the wrap-up summary in terms of what we're the main topic of today is monitoring and measuring training. Is that uh, I think the real advance that Exert brings is that it's not just anchoring yourself to one single kind of measurement value, or and it's really taking in both again your low intensity energy, your high intensity, if you want to call it your anaerobic kind of capacity and also your peak power and really performing a lot of behind the scenes calculation to give you an overall kind of integrated holistic view of that entire strain on your body and that's represented by both your MPA and your XSS and by incorporating that multi-dimensional tool uh, it allows a lot of different things of again quantifying or developing workouts based on focus 
that we'll talk about later on, uh, looking at your entire XATA, the adaptive training advisor of, I want to be this kind of an athlete by this date. It will gradually start presenting workouts that will bring you to that kind of fitness. And it's all possible because of this multidimensional modeling of, of a strain score, of exert strain score. That was excellent. That was an awesome uh, summary there. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else that you want to add? No, I'm, that was been good. I've, I've enjoyed this one. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Thank uh, you. Yeah, we'll we'll catch you guys next time. All right. Have a great day. Bye for now.